baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Chris Ranji, Amy Mark scores with you. And this is something that affects every single one of us, either because of a parent, a family member, or concerned about ourselves as we get older. And that is brain health and specifically dementia. It's such a cruel, cruel disease. I've seen family members suffer from it. And I think deep down, Ranj, there's that fear of what if that happens to me, what can I do to help keep my brain healthy and prevent something like that from happening? Well, joining us now is Dr. Natalia Rost. She is the Associate Director of the Comprehensive Stroke Center of Massachusetts General Hospital. She's also a professor at Harvard Medical School, and she joins us now to have that discussion of what can we do, if anything, to help prevent or delay the onset of dementia. Dr. Rost, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. And I wanted to thank you for the coverage of the story because it's even though it speaks mostly about Alzheimer's disease and dementia, just like you said in your opening, there is so much more to it because we're talking about the whole brain health and the concept of preventive neurology. Well, I don't think that's a thing that people... Um, really think about. They, the assumption is, well, whatever happens to your brain is what happens outside of concussions and head injuries, that kind of thing, that you can't you can't do anything about it. If you're going to have brain problems later, then that's just how it is. But there are ways, correct, that you can you can actually improve your brain health for later in life. Absolutely. And, you know, this is why we're talking about it this is why we're changing the mindset. Uh, just you, uh, as you mentioned, you know, we kind of resigned to being at the, in the backseat of our car, so to speak, when we talk about brain health. But in reality, there's so much more we can do about it. And not just now, but actually along the entire spectrum of our lives. And I'm here representing uh, the kind of a collective opinion and the effort behind it from the American Academy of Neurology. As president-elect, I've been working a lot in the past several years on what we call the Brain Health Initiative, basically a public engagement campaign, working with a lot of stakeholders in the field, trying to bring uh, together, you know, everybody uh, who is interested in helping us to get this concept of prevention, you know, uh, for, front and forward, uh, making sure that we know that in childhood and in adolescence and in our adult lives and even in the oldest uh, age, we can do something to make our brain health more optimal. So what, what does prevention look like when it comes to brain health? Well, right now, uh, we know kind of bits and pieces from different sciences. So I'm a stroke doctor myself, so we do a lot of stroke prevention. And those elements are well known, for example, from the American Heart Association's, uh, you know, work in, you know, uh, basically lifestyle changes, you know, healthy diet, 
uh, exercise, um, you know, sleep uh, and uh, regulation and getting engaged in the social connections. But, you know, this is just something that stroke doctors worked on. The prevention in dementia space is also somewhat uh, personalized where, you know, we talk more about learning new skills, staying connected within your community, um, managing stress. What we're trying to do, though, as neurologists, to bring all the different aspects of it so that we can say that we have preventive measures for epilepsy, preventive measures for multiple sclerosis, brain tumors, et cetera. And as part of that, we're working on developing something that's called Well Brain Visit, which is just one of the tools that uh, is part of the, you know, kind of a national vision for uh, brain health from the American Academy of Neurology. I was actually just reading a story today from Harvard Health, and I heard it on the news that exercise like walking or jogging is can be at times sometimes more effective than antidepressants alone when it comes to fighting depression. And it's an all natural way to help fight that. Do we know that exercise can also help fight off dementia or other brain diseases? It's amazing what exercise can do, Amy. Uh, you know, the, uh, there's data for exercise being helpful for our heart, and we frequently say what's good for your heart is good for your brain. But what we're actually learning is that exercise affects brain in a, a different way. So even the moderate uh, exercise, not just, you know, the strenuous and, uh, you know, kind of extensive uh, amounts of exercise that we sometimes recommend for cardiac health, but moderate amount of exercise, such as walking, as long as it's consistent and as long as it's, uh, you know, kind of a way of, uh, of individual to get engaged with their movement of the body. We have data now that shows that exercise can prevent cognitive decline and frequently, you know, mild cognitive changes, you know, such as troubles with memory, et cetera, are precursors to, you know, frank dementia. And so as long as we can diminish them, as long as we can slow them down and sometimes altogether, um, you know, stall them, that that's something that we're looking for. There are a number of studies that are coming out uh, from uh, credible institutions and networks of collaborators that show that that's the fact. So what sort of of exercise are are we talking? What does a person, how much of it per week or per day, um, you know, if if you're just talking about walking or running or whatever it is, what should a person really set a goal for? I think, uh, first of all, it has to be personalized, right? So uh, your capacity to exercise may be very different from a capacity of uh, octogenarians or, you know, adolescents have different goals, et cetera. But as a doctor in my clinic, I always tell my patients as a neurologist that you don't have to, you know, run a marathon. If you want to, you can. But you could do a 30 minutes or 35 minutes or so per day of brisk walking, and it's uh, going to be good both for your heart and for your brain. Uh, this is just something, again, it's a, what we call a moderate activity, uh, level of activity. You don't have to be out of breath as long as you are engaged and as long as you are, uh, you know, moving. That's, that's important. Um, muscle strengthening is also gaining some popularity. As you know, uh, weightlifting, building up your strength, not only good for your body, your, you know, your bones, uh, bones health will uh, you know, well, uh, uh, thank you, so to speak, with age, uh, but also uh, brain is also engaged in the process, not necessarily specifically for the brain, but I think that that's kind of a building up into the portfolio of different exercises you can get engaged with. 
I know this question is probably on the minds of a few people, and that is, do brain games and those books or phone apps that are supposed to challenge your brain, do those do anything for you? Do they work? I think there is not like a, a not like a, a a study that compared uh, performance of every of those uh, you know um, brain uh, exercise or tools or games um, uh, with you know with some sort of official treatment or uh, intervention of some sort. But so far, we don't have a specific evidence that any of them that have been studied have been uh, doing better than just a reading a book or learning a new skill or staying socially connected with your friends and, uh, you know, and family. So I think that uh, for now, there is not like a magic wand or a special uh, tool or trick that's going to help you with that. But just in general, staying connecting and being active and also um, also uh, engaging with new skills and new experiences, uh, that's something that's going to be helping. You know, as Amy mentioned right at the, the top of the segment, um, anybody who has been around a family member with Alzheimer's or dementia, it is mm. it's it's awful. It's I mean, it is as bad of a disease as a person can get. And uh, to watch somebody deteriorate is is very difficult. And I know there are all these efforts to uh, try and find some sort of you know, cure or treatment that actually works? How close are we to something like that, a massive step forward in the treatment of dementia or Alzheimer's? Yeah, I, you're exactly right. Uh, that is a terrible disease. Sometimes uh, people say it's fate, worse than death. And uh, there are a lot of resources for those individuals who are already diagnosed. Uh, so, you know, neurologists are the doctors, medical uh, doctors who take care of patients with dementia, and so we highly recommend seeking their input on uh, on uh, you know resources and tools that are available. But I have to say, over the past uh, couple of decades, there has been a concerted effort uh, to get to the cures. And as you might have heard in the past several years, there have been some breakthroughs with new medications that are uh, you know making some advances in slowing down, again, cognitive progression, not necessarily curing it yet, but we're getting closer and technology is getting better. We're diagnosing uh, individuals closer. We're able to do what we call personalized diagnosis. So there are different biomarkers, as we refer to them, blood tests and uh, brain scans and cognitive tests that we can take and kind of project what the uh, you know the future kind of combined uh, uh, combined picture from those tests help us project the future in diagnostic but also in management terms. So we're getting closer, and I want uh, you know your uh, listeners to know that there is hope. And you know whenever there is a concern, make sure to talk to your doctor. Right now, nobody goes into an annual visit and says, "Hey doc, how's my brain doing?" And we really want to make a change in this narrative. We want to make sure that. When people come to see their doctors, whether they're pediatricians, uh, family uh, doctors, or geriatricians, they want to say, what can I do for my brain? And then take that professional advice and, you know, if need be, be seen by neurologists. And, and that's kind of the future that we're trying to build 
uh, through this Brain Health Initiative and the work with the American Academy of Neurology and collaborators. Dr. Rost, we really do appreciate the time, and let's we will, we'll talk again uh, down the road because I, I don't think that. Uh, People listening can get enough information on this, and then there are a lot of people affected. So anytime we can talk, we would be happy to do that with you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Dr. Natalia Ross, Associate Director of the Comprehensive Stroke Center of Massachusetts General Hospital, professor at Harvard Medical School, also with the American Academy of Neurology visiting with us here on KMOX. And, of course, that interview will also be available on our Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. It is free to download KMOX.com as well. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time, baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.